boots and crampons today is the first session and we couldn't have got for a better person than squadron leader tulika her list of achievement goes on and on and on and i'll request tulika please start you know uh, your journey before airport how did it all start and then you know how did mountaineering come into play so first of all i would like to place my sir shall i begin sir yeah please i would like to extend my heartfelt gratitude uh, to you sir and to good some campong for providing me this platform today very glad to be amongst you all and now coming to the question uh mountaineering happened after i joined indian air force and in fact it was indian air force which gave me this platform of joining adventure sports so the entire credit of my being in adventure sports goes to the indian air force and yes the seeds were already there so i would say that the seeds of getting into adventure were already there in me but it was nourished by the air force so since since i was a child i think i always loved to be amidst nature i have a very close affinity with it because i do talk to trees right. and plants and birds and clouds so one <laughs> so, effort gave me a possibility to be amidst all these things and tell me uh, was air force always in your mind once you were a child or once you were doing your studies and all was it always that you wanted to be in the indian air force so uh, to be so actually air force was nowhere in sight in fact it was in the army which i wanted to join that was my first love okay and i was recommended in my first attempt itself but as luck would have it okay. my name is not there in the merit list so next year when i applied for air force also I got selected in Air Force, but I suppose it was to be better <laughs> that I joined Air Force. No, I'm sure. Uh, Army's loss has been cap- capitalized by the Indian Air Force, and the kind of journey you had—it's been truly amazing. You know, like Mega was mentioning in the Facebook post as well. You know, we couldn't meet in Lucknow. Con leader Mega was there doing a I am Lucknow post with us. Yeah. So that time she was mentioning. Yeah. Great. Okay, so tell me about uh, in Air Force also. You know, uh, everybody knows it's not easy for everyone to get into adventure and such things. How was your journey? How did it all start? Sir, it was uh, basically uh, I had to give up my leave because I do understand that uh, there are requirements of the organization also, which are quite justified. So, uh, so the Air Force has an adventure directorate. For that matter, all the armed forces have, right. and there are a lot of opportunities. Yes. So uh, yes, a signal came through Indian Air Force Adventure Directorate, and I did volunteer for that. And I offered that I would give up my leave in lieu of joining the course. That is what I did unofficially. Correct. But there have been people who encouraged me a lot, supported me a lot in this quest. I would particularly like to mention uh, Group Captain Shashi Kumar. Who was my second staff cook? Okay. Uh, the senior agency officer. Okay. And uh, whenever uh, an adventure okay. signal came, we would send it up to ATC Tar where I would be working uh, okay. with a quotation that okay, find the toli or like find the tin toli car, confirm interested. So that was the kind of encouragement I got. So I have been quite lucky in that matter, sir. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with you have uh, when you have such positive people around. So obviously it helps, you know. And then the commitment you showed by leaving your leave and going for such expeditions or the courses—I mean, obviously that makes a lot of sense. 
So I'll request all our viewers, you know, anybody who's got questions, feel free to type it down. We'll take it subsequently. So tell us about your journey of expedition. Which was the first expedition, and how did it go? Those kind of things we can share. Yeah. So it so happened that Indian Air Force had uh, made a plan to send its women officers to Mount Everest expedition in 2011, and the plan was conceived in 2009. So it was going to be a two-year journey of training the women officers, and in 2009 I had done my basic course from SMI. So though I was not very sure whether I would be up to the mark for a mountaineering expedition at that time, but I took a chance because I believe that in life, whenever opportunities come, you have to grab them and give your best, uh, irrespective of the chances of failure or success. Even if you fail, that's all right because it would give you some kind of experience. But you should not step back when an opportunity presents itself in front of you. So that's what I did. Volunteered for the expedition. I was selected. Uh, my first expedition was Mount Sokangri in Leh. So this is what I submitted successfully. Thereafter, I actually was taken to Mount Bhagirathi too, and then Mount Pamit. Thereafter, Mount Pasirangi and. We were also lucky to be, oh, nice. sir, and we were privileged to be taken to the Asian Glacier twice in 2010 as well as 11 okay. in the month of January. Engineering Institute at the Asian Glacier. So this is how we trained for the uh, Mount Everest expedition of Indian Air Force in 2011. And when I went there, I thought that I was fit. But in the, in life, sometimes uh, we do think that we are the perfect ones now for this task. But somehow there are again some areas for improvement, and which you realize only when you perform. So in 2011, I did realize the hard way that there were some more areas which I had to work upon more, and that is how my uh, my expedition uh, was not successful in 2011, though my team made had submitted. And I was quite proud of them and very happy okay. because as a team we succeeded. Right. But uh, my individual aspiration was not successful, and then I decided to undertake another attempt on Mount Everest in 2012. So that was altogether the journey. One. Okay. So 2011 also it was the same Everest expedition. Sir, so 2011 it was the Indian Air Force Everest expedition of which I was a part. Okay, and uh, it was a successful expedition right. for the Air Force, but uh, and seven right. of my team members out of twenty had submitted. Uh, it was quite a big uh, achievement for okay. the Air Force and for our team. So right. I'm very very proud of my teammates, but uh, I could not submit okay. in that year, and that is how I okay. get to undertake another individual expedition next year on Everest. So that is when in 2000 oh, wow. I was able to submit. Oh my God! So you've seen it twice. I mean, that kind of experience. Uh, great. I mean, I see a lot of common things. You know, in the sense that ours also the first expedition was so Kangri, and then we also trained at the AMI, which is there in Kyachin, Army Mountaineering Institute. You know, it's a nice place to be. Okay. So tell us about what differences were were there in the 2011 expedition, wherein you were not able to do. I mean, everything, anything can go wrong at those things. But then, what changes did you make in your training for which you were successful in 2012? So I think there are two factors. When we want to pursue a goal, 
there will be two factors which decide whether you succeed or not. And these are external ones and the internal ones. And a lot matters of the letter, the internal ones. So those uh, externally I had prepared very well. I would say that physically, yes, I was quite fit because I was able to do 300 sit-ups with 10 kgs weight on my chest in one go. So that kind of fitness I had achieved. But, yeah, yeah. but despite that, uh, I could not commit. And later on, when I came back and introspected, because that is what you need to do when you fail. You can blame the circumstances, you can blame other people, but ultimately, uh, the reasons for failure are always within. So that's what I try to do, introspect. And in, in this, my mother also played a very big role, because she told me that uh, it is not the factors that you oppose, Actually, my fingers were becoming cold. I was climbing on Lhotse face in the first expedition and uh, more than half an hour at around 22,000 feet. And I was quite sick, but uh, I realized that my fingers had gone numb. And I tried to generate heat by all means, but I could not do so. Then I, it was a dilemma because we had prepared for two strenuous years for this. But I thought that if I further go ahead, I might get shocked by it. So this fear was there in me right. and I returned back from there. I took a decision to come back. But when I came back down, it was a hard realization which taught me many lessons of my life. Right. Because uh, the world treats yeah. you very differently when you come back as a failure in whatever field, be it engineering, studies or anything. So that is very hard to take. Because you try to justify to yourself that I did work very hard and now the people are not even giving me credit for that hard work. They're just lambasting me for not being successful. But that is how this works. The world works. And we need to accept it. That if we perform, the treatment would be different. If we do not perform, we need to take it that the world is not going to take it very nicely. So my mom uh, helped me a lot in this because she pinpointed very bluntly that no, you had the potential. You did not give your 100%. And that is the reason solely that you could not climb it. Uh, go back again and, right. and do it. She just done me that. Wow. She said, you were forward. And that word forward, it hit me so hard too. Because yeah. when you are an armed forces officer, when you think you are very fit, and somebody, that's your mom, starts to tell you that you are forward. It demands for a lot of introspection, which I did. And I realized that, yes, there was a certain amount of truth in it. I'm not saying that in certain situations, one should cross the line of uh, uh, foolhardiness and courageous uh, risk. No, there is just a between, uh, just a thin line between the two. So, in your gosh, you should not be a fool. But at the same time, you should always try to stretch your limits to the maximum possible extent. And I suppose that is where I was lacking in my first attempt. So when I was preparing for my second one, I put my emotions aside one thing. Or rather I would say that I channelized my emotions in the right direction. So yes, there was a lot of frustration, anger and uh, dejection within me. And I tried to put it all into my preparation. It meant his preparation also this wow. time. Because only physical preparation will not take you through very tough goals. It is your mind exactly. that will save you through when you are uh, when you are faced with great situations. 
Talent engineering, the situations generally are great. They can turn bad at any time. So this time when I used to run, I thought that uh, even if I'm dying, I'm not going to stop. Earlier I used to think, even if I'm not dying, so don't stop. This time I would have thought, even if I'm dying, I'm not going to stop before I complete this goal. Every day for past one year, I imagine climbing Everest each and every day. When I was running, I would imagine that I am climbing my camp. So that is how I trained my mind more, along with my body, this time for the second attempt. But then, hats off to you, and I tell you, hats off to your mother as well. You know, sending a daughter first time to Everest it's, itself is a big thing, and knowing that uh, you've come back alive, because you know, there's a very thin line, as you said, between life and death. Once you are those altitudes and Uh, losing a finger is a small thing, you know. You could have died in those altitudes. I mean, for anyone who is going there. So I, I really feel your mother is so courageous for sending you back again with so much of motivation pumped inside you to achieve your aim. You know, that's great. And you know, as we say, mountains are going to be there always. You know, it's just that we need to be focused enough the second time once you're going. So you know, lots and lots of lessons learned in your. Journey. So there are few. There is this person he wants to ask. You know, uh, how did you prepare time? Mentally? So physically, I'm sure you were there prepared earlier as well. They tell me that uh, considering 2011 and 12, how much of mental fitness? What percentage of mental fitness played a role between 2011? Let's say you want to say it was 50% mental, 50%. How much you feel is that becomes an important part as far as Everest is concerned? I would say 90% mental, sir. Because that's a very big percentage I'm giving to the mental preparation. But yes, because uh, even for your physical preparation on ground before you actually hit the base camp. It is only your mind that trains your body to take that much of effort which you are going to put in in actual climbing, and that physical fitness does not come in a day. So the preparation actually begins all that one year or two or three years before, and that is why I give so much of weightage to your mind. It is my mind which pushes my body each and every day in that direction. Imagining that I am climbing it, right. even if when I stood in my courtyard. I would imagine that I'm standing on the summit. I would visualize it so much. Anything, whatever I'm doing in my life, I was only imagining Everest. There was a course um, which we all officers have to do. So I was also doing that course. Okay. It was quite a hectic one for all of my courses, and um, there would be a five-minute break in between the classes. Otherwise, the whole week classes were there in the morning, PT, parade uh, classes. There after the sports. So. Even between the, uh, the gap between the classes for five minutes, when everybody else would just put their head down on the desk and sleep and take some nap, I would start. I would start thinking, okay, what all do I need for Everest? So I would start preparing notes for that in those five minutes. And thereafter, when the classes are over, when uh, the the official PT is over and everybody goes back to their hotel or their officer's mess, I used to stay back on the sports ground. Running again after the PT and after the entire day of work, then I would never take the yes. I would always take stairs, however tired I was. So I would keep on running till ten o'clock. I would go back to the hotel at ten o'clock, then take stairs. So it was oh my God. so 
around 4 o'clock to 10 or 11 in the night, I would just be working mentally and physically. Then I would go back and study and uh, and I somehow, I I think I came forth in that course. So, <laughs> that, that was how it happened, sir. So, I just imagined as this. Like, when you are preparing for a goal, that is the only thing which should occupy your mind day and night. So, all the time that you are preparing, be it one year, two year, one month, one day, you cannot be even for a second away from that goal. And when you are so much after something, when your mind is so close towards that one thing, nothing else stops you. Absolutely. I think you have put it very nicely. You could get away by uh, being 100% focused, but then that's a big risk. You know, but then once you're totally focused, 100%, then uh, as you did in 2012, I'm sure success is not far once you are that much committed into the goal you, you're going for. Okay, this question again on Everest, there's a question which goes on to say that, you know, there are a lot of dead bodies on Everest, you know, which really take you once you're climbing. So tell us about your experiences. Uh, how was it once you saw the dead bodies or uh, these things over there? I would like to tell the viewers, you know, everybody knows there are dead bodies, but once you see it, that is a time which really hit you. So let's hear it from you, Tuliga. How was that experience once you had this? Yes, uh, though I had uh, read a lot of books about mountaineering before embarking upon this expedition, and um, I had read about uh, very many situations that can go wrong, from uh, Morris Herzog's Annapurna climb and the descent, very eventful. So I had read about everything that can go wrong and how these people have survived these uh, uh, difficult situations. Still, when you see a body over there, actually, <laughs> So it is a very different kind of an experience, somewhat uh, horrifying, somewhat uh, humbling, I would say. So uh, it so happened that I was climbing on the last leg towards summit in the night and I had to change my anchor. There were two ropes, so because we were climbing in the night and only the head torch uh, uh, visibility was there. So as I had to turn my head and change my anchor, I put my anchor into one of the ropes. And when I turned my vision, I saw that I, the other end of the rope was attached to a dead body. And somehow, I mean, it just came to shock. In the dark night you're climbing, yeah. you just change your anchor to a rope. And you see, it's a small rope. And at the other end, there is a dead body line. So, I just said, no, 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 God, no, no. <laughs> Not at this time. I don't want to be a part of it. With due respect. Exactly. And I also had a lot of uh, humility, I suppose. It triggers a lot of humility in you. Uh, we become very uh, thankful to God that I am still not a part of it because there is still a lot long climbs and the descent. You can be a part of all those dead bodies yourself at any moment. But uh, I actually thank God that I am alive and I have been given this opportunity to continue this climb. So, uh, yes, I do feel that... Uh, Sometimes it gives you a supernatural kind of experiences also. When I was coming back from the summit, uh, everybody tired after the summit, and I suppose that also has some kind of role to play in uh, these kind of supernatural thoughts. But uh, while descending, I saw a dead body being uh, taken down by four shapers, and I gave, uh, respectfully, I gave it some space, and I just climbed onto a cliff and gave it space to pass. But when I came back down uh, to 
today's camp also i kept on hearing some kind of voices i kept on imagining that i was on the same place and from the upper uh, reaches somebody was calling me in some different kind of language perhaps some foreigner had died or something but i kept on hearing those voices calling me there it continued for 15 days or so but thereafter i respectfully buried it within my own mind no no really i mean uh, listening uh, in in planes and all it's a different thing but once you are at those altitudes all alone there for 60 days in a tent you know it's a totally different feel and you know there are a lot of achievements i would like to tell my viewers that spondly uh, de tulika has apart from various expeditions she has done but then in our series of seven summits today we have started with tulika and we have started with deep you know the highest peak in the world um, the mount everest so we we are sharing we are listening to her experiences and uh, if anybody wants to ask anything you know that will again be you are most welcome to do that so another question which has come is you know what was the first thought when you submitted the everest you know that uh, because for you it was not a normal summit you had to struggle so so very much compared to others you know there are some people who can do it with less effort uh, they get lucky but then your case you have to go back one year is a, i mean very very long time so how was it once you achieved that final thing you've been waiting for for so long how was that feel uh, on the top of everest yeah on the top of everest once you there on top sir yeah. uh, basically i would say that um, we may try to become superheroes when we come down but uh, ultimately on the ground it, the situation is not so when you are nearing summit be it any experience or any however fit mountain yeah it is always a very difficult situation to be in because your physical strength is almost uh, spent so same was with me i had to will my body to move uh, when i was near those last steps towards summit and i i still remember that i was uh, i was telling my body i was literally muttering move and i would take another step i, I would again mutter move <laughs> and my body would perform the step so this is how i was near the summit when i reached there it was a feeling of utmost relief the first thing there was a humility and gratitude i uh, did thank god for that night because when you stand over there at the summit there is only sky and gods above you and the vast stretch of the mother earth beneath you so you feel that you are standing somewhere in between it is such a surreal feeling to be present in that moment so i realized that yes i am so much a part of this universe and just a humble just a small speck of this vast universe in nature so utmost um, uh, humility utmost gratitude to all those who have supported me to god to my parents to my friends to my colleagues and friends who had worked in my place when i climbed so also also a feeling towards uh, my critics a feeling of gratitude to them also because they triggered uh, that kind of urge in me to prove myself and when you take criticism in a positive way it can do wonders in your life so that those were the thoughts when i stood on top of that sister of course another thought was that i need to go safely down <laughs> so exactly that most important that's the first thing you know in my case also you know now i may say whatever but then the first thing once you reach the top is you know that realization that uh, you are the closest to god at that point of time because before that 
the, the moment you climb higher and higher your chances of survival again it going down and down and down so you know, that's a very good point you know it's very humbling that once you're there and you thank obviously you know for whatever has happened and that has led you there okay so dimple is there he wants to ask you know what advice would you give to the budding mountaineers you know because uh, once people listen to you i'm sure they would also be motivated so how would you guide them so that they don't make any mistakes and think of doing the everest next year or something what should be a correct process for a person who wants to go for everest you know take a step by step that so first of all i would like to say that since um, everest is the highest and uh, it takes a lot of uh, toll on your body in terms of psycho- uh, psychological impact also plus physiological impact you have to prepare very well for that and you cannot climb the highest step of a ladder in one go so you have to go step by step and start from the beginning the first step itself and the first step shall be perhaps to start with stretch you have to understand the nature of us and your reaction to the altitude so uh, begin with the trekking expedition thereafter also do your basic courses advanced courses and uh, right. climbing everest is your goal there has to be smaller peaks climbed before that so that you are aware to how your body reacts to altitude because everybody has uh, a different kind of experience dealing with the altitude somebody may feel nausea somebody may feel loss of appetite or somebody may actually feel uh, the uh, increase in appetite as as on some expeditions i did so uh, and i ate so much at every two hours on bhagirathi too that my teammates started calling me an eating machine <laughs> so that is how <laughs> and uh, you know, so this is how you have to go step by step first of all physical preparation very important you cannot take it for granted i was told uh, ascending by my team leader which i still remember that was before we were going to mount summit and he said no amount of preparation is enough that one sentence is still there in my mind so when you are preparing right. this has to be there in your mind at all times no amount of preparation is enough never let complacency settle in you in terms of your physical preparation and since you are you are aspiring to climb so whatever you want to do in life you have to practice it practice it every day so if it is climbing climb that day day find avenues to climb if there are none see there cannot be any excuses if there are no climbing avenues try to find them as i also did so i was posted in jamnagar and i would like to narrate an incident here <laughs> uh, before going to comet yeah yeah sure uh, before going to comet since i had to practice climbing and and uh, uh, the officer's mess is not uh, multi story there it's just ground floor so i did not have that advantage of climbing the stairs of officer's mess so i started climbing on a water tank there was a water tank behind the officer's mess and we all had water tanks there so i used to climb, i used to climb on that water tank every morning and there used to be seen beneath me uh, the the security guard came over there and started questioning me uh, perhaps i must have looked <laughs> i must have looked very young <laughs> at that time so he thought that i was a school girl right. in my shorts and i had a backpack on so perhaps he thought that i was a school girl who 
but has bumped from her classes and <laughs> has some crap out in her mind. <laughs> he started shouting at me, what are you doing? And uh, then there was uh, uh, children all around the water tank. So all these things used to happen. Uh, <laughs> and then whenever uh, I would travel by train, and um, if there is a gap uh, on the train station of half an hour or something, there is a hall, and every uh, station has the stairs. So I did not uh, actually, I did not think of what people thought of me when I was in my preparation phase. I had to climb. So during that half an hour or so, I would just start climbing stairs. Get onto the platform and climbing stairs to the railway station. So that's how I have been. If I have to stretch myself, I will stretch myself even in a railway coach. So I never missed my uh, oh. physical training for that matter for anything. Be it 10 o'clock in the night, be it 4 o'clock in the morning. I could not miss even one day of my training and that's what I did. So this would be my advice to all the aspirants that uh, read a lot. First of all, gather all the information that you can about the goal that you are setting, be it mountaineering or be it any other goal. So, uh, learn from the experiences of people who have already been there. So, there are, by doing this, you will realize as to what all can go wrong and you will mentally be prepared for it. Yes. So, a lot of incidents have happened in my life of which I had already read in books. And therefore, my mind was, I suppose, tuned that yes, it can go wrong. And if other people have dealt with it successfully and survived, I can survive too. So that helps a lot. Talk to people, gather information, prepare yourself physically as well as mentally. So when uh, every element of your existence, your being, is tuned towards one direction, that is when you will be able to achieve your goal. Right. Absolutely. So now I would like uh, viewers to understand this part that this is your dream, okay? This is your journey. So you don't have to bother about what other people say or what other people think because in the end you are the answer you are answerable to your own self you know so if you train properly then i'm sure you succeed irrespective of what other people think about you okay so there's another question from mahima gaikwad you know he wants to know climbing everest was it a bigger challenge or was it returning from everest which came out to be as a bigger challenge for you rather than climbing so please throw some light on that as well yes in terms of being on the mountain uh, it is a distance which is more difficult, as most of the mountaineers would tell, because after summiting your body is tired, also a little bit of uh, relaxation is there in the mind. And since uh, most of the summit times are done in night, so since you are not slept, you are a groggy also. Uh, so that makes for uh, a trouble uh, in the viewing. So I suppose the distance is always uh, more difficult. In my case, I had also had frostbite in my toes uh, while I was climbing Everest in 2012 on the last leg. Though I had taken precautions, I had had an anti-frostbite pill also uh, when I felt that it was being the cold, my foot was being cold. And I took a deliberate decision to continue on that climb because I thought that uh, last year I had to return because of this reason. This year I did not want to return, but it was a very calculated risk that I took. And earlier I used to think that it, earlier I used to think that uh, it does not pain when your fingers go numb or your toes go numb, and in the process of frostbite. But I realized that it pains a lot. <laughs> but then you have to uh, <laughs> you have to surpass your physical 
limit if you want to achieve something. So, uh, because I had already planned with that soft white toes is setting in, and while I was coming down, my toes were actually hitting my shoe on the down gradient, and that's why it became even more challenging for me. I'm not a person who cries in uh, public easily, but uh, though I cry in private a lot, <laughs> but not in public much. Uh, but uh, that was one moment that there was so much of pain in my toes that unconsciously, I suppose, the tears were falling down. So coming down was much more difficult for me. Uh, but then ultimately, you have to survive, so you have to come down. There is no other option. Mountains teach you this thing that if you put yourself in that situation. There is no other option in front of you. You do succeed, and your body has no limit. Those hidden strengths come out in those situations. So sometimes, yes, I do try to put myself in a situation where I don't have an alternative, and then I realize that that latent strength comes out. So that is what I uh, happened on that descent also. Right? Amazing. See this. <laughs> such instances really grow you as a person i'm sure because you know listening to you, these kind of stories itself gives us such such a huge inspiration and i wish i would have known and met you before i went for everest because the learning would have been again a different experience altogether because you went seven years before i had gone so had we met or had had i known about this so would have been a different experience learning you know because as you said there's no end to training there's no end to learning especially for things like everest wherein the target is so huge that I mean great lesson tell me something have you ever done anything more difficult or more challenging than the kind of experience you have shared with us anything which has ever come closest to what you have just discussed in fact i would say that everything in life is difficult if you look at that because i write i have a fear for writing and i have been writing since childhood but i feel that every time i begin to write a new article it is again a very difficult process you have to get into it you have to forget the entire world and get into that character or whatever you are doing so uh, writing i find very challenging but i love it and this is the kind of work uh, which grows you as a person i suppose when you consciously put yourself into a very challenging situation out of your comfort zone so guess i find writing uh, does that for me I have to totally forget my own existence and be there in writing. Writing is kind of giving birth. You are bringing out all those emotions from your depth, from your core, and to find each word which would fit correctly to express those emotions is a totally, uh, you know, totally encompassing process, overwhelming process. So that's what I enjoy a lot apart from writing. Same goes for the singing, I suppose. I love to sing, and when I sing, though I don't okay. do much on public platforms, but I love to sing. And whenever I do, I just forget myself. So this is the kind of intensity that I do every work in my life. And uh, I don't say that it is difficult. I would say yes, it is challenging. But then challenges are what grow you as a person. So that's how I love challenges. <laughs> No, no, amazing. Now I can understand. You know the kind of articles which come from you. Now I know the reason why there is so much of depth and so much of knowledge involved. Because you know, last one hour of interaction, I can realize you know everything you've been doing. There is so much of passion which is involved. That is very, very evident. You know the way you are speaking, the way you are 
describing the things. Okay, so uh, tell me one thing: who in life inspires you the most? You know, because everybody has their own set of people who inspire them. So, who in your case has been your anchor, wherein the person has motivated you the maximum in your life ever? If we talk about the most motivating person, that would be my mother. Because she is the one person who has shown me uh, how to balance between uh, different roles in the life. She is a professional. She is uh, in academy, and she balances her professional life as well as raising a difficult child like me, who is very restless and demanding emotionally and in all other terms. So she has done these things so wonderfully, and I always go back, go to her whenever I am in a down phase. So she is one person who does everything in her life very passionately. She is very fond of traveling. So she has taught me that life has many components. It cannot be just one thing that you are consumed in. And since life is only one, it is a blessing from God. That is why it should be lived to the fullest extent without uh, you know, harping too much on your difficulties. So yes, challenges are there in everybody's life. Nothing is going to come smooth. And for nobody, it comes to smooth. So it is not only we who are facing these struggles in our life. It is the human existence which goes through struggles, and that is why this existence is so beautiful, because we have had the opportunity to overcome these struggles. So this is the kind of attitude she has provided me, and she has also told me that uh, having your self-esteem is very important in this world. So that you have to go extra way, and you should do that. Never cast yourself in a particular mold because every person is unique. So my destiny is entirely different from the other person's, and my aspirations would be entirely different. And that is why my struggle is also unique. So I can't compare myself with anybody. I can't be fitting into somebody's shoes. I have to create my own niche, and that is why she has taught me to be unique, just me. So this is how she has inspired me to go after something fully when you are into it, and when you are done, don't uh, celebrate much. She has never celebrated my success. Okay. Uh, she has never even seen my expedition photographs. Uh, and though it was a little uh, disappointing for me in the beginning, uh, but then she always told me, she always told me now one work is done, think about the next one. So that's how she has raised me. Very nice. Okay, you know there are two questions, so we'll wrap it up in five minutes. I will first is you know I've come to know that you somebody who has written that you are doing PhD as well, and that too subject related to mountaineering. What is it about? Please throw some light as well because this is news to me as well. So I am doing a PhD on Sherpas of Nepal, and my topic has been evolving around their history. Since my stream is history, my subject is history. So I would be tracing their history as to how they uh, came to Nepal from Tibet in around the 11th, 12th century. Thereafter, how their occupation has changed over the years, uh, from uh, being a soil community to climbing community. How mountaineering as a commercial activity has changed their life in terms of socio-economic conditions as well as the cultural impact. So, since there has been an amalgamation of cultures, of Eastern culture and Western culture, anybody who has been uh, uh, to Himalayas with the Sherpas, 
would vouch that these are the people who are very simple hearted very warm towards you very welcoming so uh, they had this asian influence on their culture but then the western influence also came when the uh, professional mountaineers came into that region so uh, how these two things have amalgamated and what are the changes positive as well as negative because everything has to respect so i would be bringing out both the respect uh, in their journey also i felt that it was an obligation on me uh, to bring out these stories though uh, some foreigners have and perhaps some indians also have written on sherpas but still i felt that i can present their story from my perspective and uh, i felt it uh, because it is a subject close to my heart when i was climbing i did not take climbing just as a physical exercise whenever i go to a place a region i always try to find out about its culture its people i interact with people a lot there and when i was in connection with my sherpa i realized his life story that he has to leave his study Uh, because it is a poor reason and um, he had to come into it he wanted to be a pilot but he uh, had his uh, siblings in studies so this was what i actually wanted to bring out there was another clash uh, recently before a few years on mount everest between a very celebrated climber and some sherpas where it came to blows actually so this also triggered an interest in me to bring out uh, these two aspects positive and negative of mountaineering as a commercial activity on their life so uh, perhaps i could present it um, in a nice way also i wanted to bring out the importance of faith in climbing because spirituality is very important every climber who goes to climb mount everest uh, has to perform a puja before because uh, the sherpas believe in it so that was also very uh, very impressive experience for me I was totally transformed when I witnessed that puja. So I wanted to bring out this aspect in human existence of faith, of spirituality. How much momentum it provides you in achieving your goal. So these are few aspects that I would like to bring out in my PhD, and later on uh, it would be published as a book, a publication. Amazing, you know. So we'll look forward to this because this looks really, really exciting, you know. the kind of journey you have had and the kind of research you doing makes a lot of sense okay last question you know there is another person who wants to know you know what is your dream expedition which you want to do or any future expedition plans you have uh, at present you know you plan to do in future so uh, i have plans to climb mount shoyu this is on my uh, list and uh, another one is mount ojozel salado in argentina which is the highest volcano of the world So these two are right now on my mind. In fact, they have been on my mind for a long time. But since we all know that mountaineering is a very expensive sport, and we do need the sponsorships also. Though I climbed Everest on my own expenditure and was called uh, all the names for that, so I had to bear all the expenses on my own. But uh, you know, coming from a middle class family, you can't afford. Spending 20-25 lakh rupees every year on an expedition. <laughs> so, so for that matter, I have to put it on hold for a while. And I do, uh, I do hope that whenever I'm able to raise these uh, finances, I would go for these two expeditions at least. But climbing is a lifelong activity for me. It is not restricted to any one mountain path. For that matter, I had never begun climbing with the thought of Everest in my mind. 
it just happened so yes uh, i do give that uh, respect to avas being the highest peak in this world and it has its own charm and we do feel good about uh, climbing it but after that the mountain should not stop there uh, basically i climb because i love climbing my purpose of climbing is to discover my own strengths as well as weaknesses mountaining has taught me more about myself when i am faced with a challenge how i react when i fall down from an ice wall how do i react when i fall into a crevasse how do i react i realize that i don't panic uh, in these situations that all these things have happened to me uh, somehow pleasantly i realize that i don't panic and i always analyze the damage done and now what is the next course of action to salvage the situation so this was what uh, was the trend that came out my weakness uh, some of the weaknesses also i realized when i started mountaineering uh, that i had to work more about uh, my speed perhaps i was never a speed climber but then i realized that where where can i compensate for the loss of speed so my speed was moderate but i started consciously taking long steps since i cannot take fast steps much i thought that i i have to cover equal this i will take longer steps that came very naturally to me so right. even when i was walking on planes i started walking in long steps long strides and uh, my coach used to say are you running or are you walking <laughs> so, so, right obviously yes sir so this is what launching has Great. taught me amazing you know so thank you so much for little tulika amazing journey and i tell you i'm really floored great experience listening to you i'm sure the journey you've had if you're so passionate it's pressing it the kind of life you have lived hats off to it you know and thanks to all the viewers for watching us you know it's been great learning about everest about journey of scondi to tulika expeditions the learnings the mental aspects and all and we are extremely thankful for you to giving your time and making it so very worthwhile and interesting and to all the viewers you know do tune in next time next friday same time 9 pm we're going to be back again with another mountain one of the seven summits and once again all the best tulika for your next expedition your next goal and looking forward to your phd thesis as well all the best thank you so much it's been my pleasure talking to you because you are one person that i had always wanted to talk live with so absolutely my pleasure because perhaps uh, the viewers should know a little more about you so Uh, rather than talking to me, they would feel like talking to you more. <laughs> so really, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, sir, that you gave me this platform. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Bye, bye, guys. Everyone, good night.